crackdown coming. It's using the War Act to go against the It's not the War Act. What authorities are doing to bring an end to illegal protests in Ottawa. New developments in a racist tirade caught on camera. Right in this country. The punishment for anti-mandate hate targeting high school students. And you can dance if you want to, but don't leave your mask behind. We have to start booking again. Bars and nightclubs get ready to shake things up with relaxed rules. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Many more details tonight about just what the Emergencies Act will allow law enforcement and others to do about truckers' blockades. It's been two days since the act was invoked by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Aaron MacArthur has the details and the latest on how the protesters are reacting. Police may have sweeping new powers. This isn't going against the law. But in the nation's capital Wednesday... The extent of that new authority was handing out leaflets. Am I leaving? Is this my country? I pay taxes? No, I'll stay wherever I want. After weeks of constant occupation on Parliament Hill, trucks and people did start the process of clearing out, but not all. Some vowing to stay until the bitter end. Just pay attention to who the bad cops are and the good cops, because we're going to get those guys. After an arsenal was seized from trailers at the Coots border crossing in Alberta, there are concerns that potential for violence exists across the protest camps. Several of the individuals at Coots have strong ties to a far-right extreme organization with leaders who are in Ottawa. The federal government's imposition of the Emergencies Act has been described as both necessary and a vast overreach of its authority. The government stepping in just as protests were winding down at border crossings from Ontario to B.C. The government has announced critical infrastructure will be protected going forward. Blockades will be considered illegal at bridges, ports, borders and airports. Borders will be considered compulsory. Tow truck drivers, for example, cannot refuse to remove vehicles. Children will be barred from protests. And anyone enforcing the orders, such as banks freezing accounts, will be immune from civil prosecution. Measures that we've brought forward are targeted, temporary, and proportionate. Wednesday, a group of truckers tried to reoccupy the Ambassador Bridge in Windsor, and a small convoy is rolling across B.C. with the intent to stop at the Pacific Highway crossing. The emergency not set to expire for 30 days. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. It has been a slow process, but rapid tests are almost on the way to homes in B.C. The provincial government says it will soon have more than 20 million kits to distribute to households in British Columbia. Richard Zussman has more on the rollout plan. It has been a tool largely unavailable in B.C.'s fight against COVID-19, take-home COVID-19 rapid tests. We have been so far behind the rest of Canada, uh, the rest of the Western world we need to catch up. 
That's about to change, but slowly. The province now has 7.5 million tests here from the federal government. Nearly 3 million are on the way right now, and another nearly 10 million are coming in the next few weeks. More than 1.5 million tests will go to testing centers, acute care, indigenous communities, and businesses combined. Nearly 6 million of those tests heading to schools, including K-12 and post-secondary. And for the first time, the general public will have access to these rapid tests, but it's unclear how many. How we're going to do that is first give priority uh, to uh, those that are most vulnerable to COVID-19, namely uh, older uh, British Columbians, seniors. So they get the first uh, access to that. And after that, we'll move down through other age cohorts as more rapid tests arrive. There's no timeline yet on when this program will be expanded beyond seniors and no sense of where people will be able to get their tests. For these rapid tests to be coming out and be made available now after people and the opposition parties have been calling for them for a year, it's long overdue. With the easing of COVID-19 restrictions, it means there are no longer any restrictions on how many people you can have in your home. And there is no requirement to have a COVID-19 vaccine, which means rapid tests like this, when more readily available, could be something you want to have on hand. If I was going to host people, large number of people, especially individuals that I haven't seen in a while, I'd have a bunch of rapid tests around. And if I was going into a new environment, I might have a rapid test on me. The tests, according to Dr. Conway, should not be treated as a green light, meaning a negative test does not guarantee you don't have COVID, but they should be seen as a red light, a positive test, meaning get home or stay home and isolate. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. An Oliver woman caught on video shouting at students while protesting COVID-19 restrictions outside of South Okanagan High School has now been hit with a hefty fine. Silke Schultz, seen in this video, which went viral following the Friday incident, now faces a $2,300 fine. The RCMP say the fine is for violating the Access to Services COVID-19 Vaccination Act, which prohibits the disruption of access to roads within 20 metres of K-12 schools, hospitals and COVID-19 clinics. The incident happened just outside of South, Southern Okanagan Secondary School in Oliver. Schultz was part of a larger group of protesters who were there to support a handful of students who had planned a walkout in protest of mask mandates. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the fine. Keith, you spoke with Minister Mike Farnworth today about this, and there could be even further penalties we hear. Yeah, we've talked to uh, Public Station Minister Mike Farnworth from time to time in this pandemic. Every time we come across someone who behaves like this or breaks the rules, breaks health protocols, ignores what uh, society is, is looking for right now. And Farnworth has become known as a pretty plain speaking and tough speaking fellow when it comes to describing the behavior of people like this. Have a listen. What we saw in uh, Oliver was an individual engage in absolutely disgusting, reprehensible, racist, aggressive, abusive, uh, ignorant behavior, um, you know, to, uh, to kids. Mm -hmm. uh, just totally unacceptable. Uh, the police investigated and that uh, they found that, uh, you know, it was a clear violation of the legislation and she was fined $2,300.
I think I counted about a half dozen adjectives there in that response. And again, fine worth telling me and reminding me and reminding everybody, quite frankly, uh, it's not just fines. You can face criminal penalties as well. Uh, this woman may not be totally out of the woods yet. And a reminder again, this behavior is just simply against the law outside of schools, uh, vaccination clinics, and health facilities. Also today, Farm Worth and I talking about the fact some anti-vaccination posters were found outside on uh, sort of stapled or taped to a local Victoria hospital. Again, that is not tall or lawful behavior and he asked anybody witnessing someone like this whether it's harassing like that woman was doing or people putting posters up call the police they'll come and handle it all right let's hope we don't see much more of this thanks very much keith while most sports leagues around the province will be returning to full capacity this week many parents of high school athletes will remain on the outside looking in school sports will stay at 50 percent capacity for the foreseeable future as kamal karmali reports the education ministry says it's all about safety this is how parents have had to watch their kids' high school basketball games over the past month. Michelle Klim has two daughters who play the game. These are really important and really fantastic years to be supporting our children. And we're doing it in front of a, a phone or a computer, anything live streamed. But now the province will allow 50% attendance capacity at all indoor high school sporting events starting Saturday or a maximum of 50 people. But a gymnasium only half full is a glass half empty for parents. Why are pro sporting events like Canucks games and restaurants and bars now allowed full capacity while high schools are only allowed half that? It's 100% capacity at Rogers Arena. So why not have it 100% capacity for us parents to be cheering on our high school students? What's more, parent advisory councils claim there has been no communication from the province. We're learning about it sometimes after the fact, and it's, it is frustrating. The province says public school events will continue to have capacity limits because they won't be requiring vaccine card checks like other privately run event spaces. And in order to ensure that there is, uh, you, know, uh, you know, access and equitable access to those uh, to those activities, the vaccination card does not apply. Competition organizer BC School Sports says even tournaments outside of schools will be capped at 50 percent for now. Uh, that said, there is a bit of a gray area there, and you know that's something that we are having continued dialogue with the ministry on um, and our facility partners. And a sliver of hope that the capacity limits will be completely lifted once outdoor sporting events like track and field and rugby begin in late May. Kamal Karmali, Global News. And here's a look at our latest COVID-19 numbers. The trends continue to go down. We have 762 people in hospital 121 of those patients receiving critical care. There have been 11 more deaths from complications of the virus and 750 new cases have been recorded. Bars and nightclubs are set to welcome back patrons at the stroke of midnight tonight. And for the first time in months, dancing will be allowed. As Amadagahi reports, nightclub owners are going full throttle, preparing for what's expected to be a busy time. There is a new slogan written behind the bar inside Vancouver's Fox Cabaret to remind staff and patrons 
the significance of this chapter in its already storied existence. Because we survived the pandemic and it wasn't clear that we, that we were going to be able to, right? And it just feels like a relief. Through pandemic restrictions, the Fox was on the verge of bankruptcy twice. Now its owner can hardly contain her excitement. I can't wait. But there is a lot of work to do making up for lost time and money. If dancing is allowed, we have to start booking DJs again. Um, so we need to follow up and find out who's still working, who's still available, who's still in the city, who hasn't left. Having people walking around, having people being able to mingle from table to table, having people able to stand at their table dancing, I mean, that's the whole experience. This week, BC is lifting restrictions on dancing and mingling between unwanted tables which for live music venues like this makes a world of difference. It gives them back the dance floor and what they know. You know, when you're kind of classified as a, a dance club and there's no dancing, uh, it's difficult. And it is because we have those, those layers of protection through the vaccine card, through our masking, and through those COVID safety plans that we can go back to full capacity in these settings. Just getting the dance floor ready. So while clearing out the space on the beloved Roxy dance floor, will be hard work. Its general manager calls this a monumental victory for not just his venue, but the entire nightclub industry, which at times struggled to make it this far. I don't know how much longer everyone could have gone doing this. Imadagahi, Global News. Well, like bars and restaurants, few sectors have been hit quite like the cruise ship industry, effectively canceled for most of the pandemic. Now, with Ottawa easing travel requirements for air, land and sea, there's optimism the industry can rebound. But as John Waugh reports, no one is quite sure how. With the federal government essentially clearing air travel for takeoff, the future of the cruise ship industry remains somewhat unclear. We will have more to say very soon about how testing for cruise ship travellers arriving at Canadian ports will work. On a positive note, losing the pre-arrival PCR test requirement at the end of the month will make things much easier for cruisers arriving into British Columbia by air or water. Logistically, that would have posed a real significant challenge for member cruise lines to conduct PCR tests at sea. Still unknown when Canada will lift its advisory on cruise ship travel and whether rapid tests will be required for passengers just docking and shopping in this province. Cruise lines have been requiring testing before people get on ships, and virtually everybody on a ship now is fully vaccinated. Sounding the alarm that there isn't much time to get it right. Businesses counting down the days until cruiser traffic returns to this area. In Gastown, we rely a lot on the tourist industry, and if we don't have that, we're in trouble. Instead of cooking up an exit from Gastown, Brioche Ristorante decided to take a gamble by recently moving to a new location just down the street. It was a really big gamble, and I still don't know. There is you know, news that it is supposed to be starting again in April, but I'm not sure if they will be. With so much relying on this cruise ship restart, their message to the government when it comes to restrictions, it needs to be the right balance. It will mean the world. I mean, I, I, I can wait to see, you know, things going back to normal. After years of just trying to stay alive, many believe it's time to serve up some much-needed hope. John Hua, Global News. 
A twist in the campaign for Vancouver mayor. My plan to build 10,000 homes that middle class families can afford. Talked about it a lot. Kennedy Stewart lot featured in something that sounds a lot like a campaign ad. But guess who's paying for it? That story next on the News Hour. Cuffing a cougar. Maple Ridge RCMP go above and beyond to help relocate a big cat. Later. And dog on it, what a surprise. The story of how a puppy was born green. That's coming up, but right now, new radio ads from Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart are raising some questions. The ads tout Stewart's new making home plan to build thousands of affordable homes. But as Ted Trenecki reports, it's who's paying for the ads that's causing controversy. This one's on us, but anytime you hear this ad on radio, it'll be Vancouver residents who are paying for it. My plan to build 10,000 homes that middle-class families can afford. Affordability. The ad doesn't say this is the city of Vancouver's plan, it's Mayor Stewart's, one that was passed unanimously by council last month, and at the end, there's this. Brought to you by the office of the Mayor of Vancouver. I would have thought that this would be a good candidate for um, money from the campaign rather than money from the mayor's office. Mayors in B.C. have a distinct advantage politically and financially over political rivals, especially as an election looms. Mayor Stewart's expenses budget is significant. He had an annual budget of $1.122 million, uh, and he had spent 773000 of that by the end of the year and had another 350000 to get through. The mayor's office couldn't make anyone available for an on-camera interview, but in a statement it says public money is routinely used to inform residents, whether it's combating anti-Asian hate, the record number of rental and social housing approved, or making home. The mayor's affordable home ownership plan unanimously passed by council. We communicate on topics important to the city. At the end of the day, if he wanted to get the message out there, he could literally get it out there instantaneously on social media for free. His political rivals are crying foul. We've tried to take corporate money and union money out of elections, and the mayor found a loophole. He's actually using taxpayer money to fund his election campaign. The Making Home campaign appears to be a cornerstone of the mayor's re-election bid. It's a plan to allow up to 2,000 single-family lots to be rezoned, so as many as six smaller homes can be built on the single lot. But the program is still in the planning stages, and there's no real guarantee that it'll make much of a difference. When he's out there sort of saying, this is my idea and not referring to anyone else, that's not exactly, you know, like a bridge-building exercise with the rest of your council. Brought to you by the office of the mayor of Vancouver. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Still ahead, international students caught in legal limbo. They want international students in this country, but they do not want uh, to take care of them. The quirk of COVID, that means they might get kicked out of the country. And shocking video that's part of an Okanagan crime wave that's overwhelming officers. Big delays here in Burnaby. Crews are on scene to a crash involving a motorcycle and eastbound Kingsway is blocked just east of Imperial. Traffic can take Rumble as an alternate route instead. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash in Burnaby. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC in partnership with Pacific Blue Cross, flexible small business health benefits for challenging times. 
A pre-sentencing hearing was held today for an off-duty Vancouver police officer convicted of sexually assaulting a colleague in a Whistler hotel room back in July of 2019. The case against Jagraj Roger Barrar has been going on for more than two years now, but a conclusion is finally in sight. Grace Key has more from North Vancouver. I did speak with the victim in this case. She obviously can't be identified, but she did tell me that Jagraj Roger Barrar has never apologized to her and she feels he has never taken responsibility for what happened. Defense is asking for 12 months in jail, Crown 12 to 15 months. Defense read statements from Barrar's not one day has gone by where he hasn't felt remorse. In a letter to the judge, Barrar wrote, in part, I take responsibility for my actions. I did not intend to do any harm to the victim. It goes against everything I am as a human being. The victim also wrote a statement. Part of that reads, I was and am blamed as a victim because I broke through the blue wall of silence. You wore a uniform that inherently made people trust you, and I trusted I was safe that night amongst those in a noble profession. I dream of being the person I was before, but that is impossible. Being so personally violated has murdered much of who I was. As aggravating factors, Crown says the victim was asleep and vulnerable at the time of the assault, and there was a breach of trust with Barrar being a police officer. Defense said Barrar has no record, is at a low risk to reoffend, and will likely be in protective custody. Farrar was suspended with pay when allegations were brought forward. He is now no longer a member with the Vancouver Police Department. The judge is expected to be coming back with a sentencing decision sometime next month. In North Vancouver, Grace Key, Global News. A man who killed a Burnaby cyclist while driving drunk will spend more than two years behind bars. 53-year-old Charles Masala was struck and killed while riding on Burnaby Mountain back in June of 2019. He left behind a wife and two children. The driver, Samit Manga, sped from the scene, then tried to blame a co-worker for the accident. He was found to have a blood alcohol level more than twice the legal limit. In October, Mungat pleaded guilty to impaired driving causing death and failing to stop at the scene of an accident. He has now been sentenced to 30 months in prison, followed by a 54-month driving prohibition. Ongoing crime in downtown Penticton has business owners calling on the city for immediate action after a shocking attempted arson was caught on camera. Global's Taya Fast reports. Two people attempting to light a row of vehicles on fire in downtown Penticton caught on camera. The incident happened on February 6, around 2.30 a.m. The fire was quickly extinguished and the vehicles were moved shortly after. You know, the video I posted um, was pretty shocking in the fact that it was just so, um, just not a care in the world. So it's very concerning uh, as a business owner, but also just a Penticton guy uh, with family um, that our community right now now, uh, we have big city criminals in our small community. Graham's security cameras captured the incident and says he has witnessed an increase in criminal activity in the downtown area. He is now calling for immediate action from city officials. Bad individuals and criminals in our community, um, they operate with just such so free um, that now um, there's absolutely no accountability. And when there's no accountability, things only expedite and only get worse. Graham says he has been in contact with the RCMP and did give them the video. Global News did reach out to Penticton RCMP for an interview, but we did not receive a response back.
I believe the RCMP are extremely frustrated. I personally think they're doing as best job as they can with the resources that they have. Penticton RCMP continue to have the highest caseload per officer in BC. They have 172 uh, uh, per uh, per officer, where the the provincial average is 72. The mayor says that the city of Penticton has made community safety its top priority for 2022. Plans to increase policing, bylaw services and a review of protective services are already underway. We hired uh, Dr. Griffiths and Dr. Sopo um, to, to bring us back a report on what exactly is Penticton still needs uh, to protect uh, from uh, crime and all the other issues. But Graham says more needs to be done. We're spending money uh, on magnitude of different projects right now, uh, where I think uh, it goes without saying a lot of those budgets and allocated funds, they need to be redirected uh, to help us combat the issues we have in our community. TFS Global News, Penticton. Surrey RCMP need your help to reunite an elderly woman with her family. She was located in the 15400 block of 108th Avenue this afternoon. She does not speak English. She appears to be in her 80s and is about 5 feet tall with a slim build. She's wearing a burgundy sweater and navy track pants and does not have any identification on her. If you recognize this woman, you are asked to call Surrey RCMP. Coming up, a potential breakthrough in organ transplants. UBC researchers helped discover a way to make any organ suitable for transplant in any patient, regardless of blood type. And foreign students on the verge of being forced to leave the country. Why they're feeling forgotten. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but do keep in mind there are some southbound lane closures during the overnight hours for maintenance. With BCAA Car Insurance, it's easy to renew from anywhere. From ICBC Auto Plan renewals to exclusive savings, visit BCAA.com today. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. They came to Canada as international students to study and work on a hopeful path to eventual citizenship. But now, thanks to a pandemic paperwork backlog, they're unable to work, leaving their lives in limbo. Neetu Garcha reports. I think I have to leave this country. Uh, I, I will get a removal order if, if my status doesn't restore. 20-year-old Ikam Sandhu is trying to restore his status as a temporary resident after moving from India in 2019. After studying so hard for 16 months, paying 32000 in fees, and now I'm not even allowed to work or stay in this country, uh, it seems unfair to me. Sandhu had a study permit. He recently graduated from the tourism diploma program at BC's Hanson College. The next step was to apply for a work permit. But his work permit was refused through a letter stating the institution is not eligible. He says that doesn't make sense because his friends in the same program were approved. Everyone was getting work permit and I got a call that yours refused. That was shocking. The private institution is tied to Ontario's Cambrian College. They have an arrangement allowing students to earn a public college diploma. And even though Sandhu has multiple support letters confirming the college's partnership since 2005 includes the British Columbia campus and that he graduated under that partnership, 
Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada in a statement to Global News still claims the BC campus is exempt from that program. Multiple immigration consultants we spoke to say that isn't true, adding throughout the pandemic there have been inconsistencies in application decisions and months-long processing delays that can have tragic outcomes. The processing time has been extended so much that some students are in the stage, they are becoming suicidal. She says this mixed messaging, throwing their future into question, can make international students vulnerable in many ways. So they do get exploited by people here uh, who would try to give them less than minimum wages. It happens as prostitution happening. When COVID was at, at peak, when everyone wants to stay at home and was staying at home, International students were told that they can work more than 20 hours. And now they're urging the federal government to make another exception, allowing students like Sandhu to work legally while he waits to see if his status will be restored and to waive the $600 fee to do so. They want international students in this country, but they do not want uh, to take care of them. Neetu Garcha, Global News. A stark warning now from Interior Health issued late this afternoon. Drugs currently being sold on the streets contain alarming concentrations of fentanyl and benzodiazepine and they come with a high risk of overdose. Health officials say drug samples contain up to 55% fentanyl, more than five times the normal amount. Some drugs have also been found to contain 25% benzodiazepine, the average around 1% or 2%. Interior Health says the samples have been sold as down, heroin or fentanyl and a wide range of colors and textures have been identified. Officials warn that naloxone does not work on benzos and that the person may begin breathing normally again but might not wake up. BC Research is helping to achieve a potential medical breakthrough, a process that would make donated organs suitable for any candidate, regardless of blood type. As Global's Jamie Morocker explains, the discovery could speed up wait times and save lives. Elizabeth Ostrander spent two years, the majority of the pandemic, waiting for a lung transplant, her condition worsening by the day. I was getting a little bit frustrated and just depressed about you know, not getting the match and possibly never getting it. The waiting game is excruciating for patients in need of a donor organ, and it can be worse for those with certain blood types. For people with O, waits on average are twice as long for a lung transplant compared to A. Inside this Toronto laboratory, Dr. Marcelo Saipel says he and his team have found a way to level the playing field. We converted donor lungs uh, that had an A blood type and converted them into universal type blood organs. To understand how they did it, you'll first need a quick lesson in hematology. Blood type is determined by the presence of antigens on the surface of red blood cells in our bodies. Type A, for example, has A antigens, B has B, AB has both A and B, and type O, the universal blood type, has none. In order to clear the antigens from the organs so they can be given to any patient, Saipel turned to Stephen Withers at the University of British Columbia, who developed an enzyme to do just that. The enzymes themselves uh, are ones that we discovered by hunting within the human gut microbiome, which in reality means in human feces. Those enzymes were then injected into one lung from a type A donor. The other was left untreated. 
and researchers introduced type O blood to both to simulate what would happen after a transplant. And what we could see is that these lungs did not present any signs of rejection. Elizabeth, who finally got her match, hopes this advancement will help others get an organ faster. It would have made my life easier, like I would have been able to do more with my family. A reality that researchers say could be just a couple years away. Jamie Marocker, Global News, Toronto. Family doctors in B.C. have launched a new campaign advocating to get every British Columbian access to a family physician. The group will be engaging both the public and the government about ways to make that happen. According to the organization, of the nearly 7,000 family physicians, less than half are actually working in family practice. The campaign is hoping to explain why that is and encourage more to join. The real question is, and what we're puzzled about, is given all those numbers, how come you know, people are not staying or not choosing to practice as what we consider the traditional family physician? We'd like to also engage the public. You know, and, and the government and what do they see as some of these barriers for physicians practicing family medicine. The group says there are at least 750,000 British Columbians right now who do not have a family doctor. Coming up, what do you name a green puppy? There were a few of them were Wasabi, Fiona, Hawkett. <laughs> Suggestions for a newborn pup who definitely didn't look like the others. And in sports, a local fighter on the comeback trail and how he shares a very special scar with an NHLer who's now... All right, we had a lovely sunset tonight and there might be uh, more to more reason to look up in the night sky tonight. Christy? <laughs> Yeah, so what I was hoping for is some nice breaks because early this morning we had the full moon, which is called the snow moon in February, but it looks like we're starting to see that cloud cover redevelop, so you may not see it. But if you catch a break, definitely go check it out. Here's a look at it from earlier today. This is it from Jessica, uh, the snow moon. And if you can see very closely there, there's an eagle right in front of the moon as well. Jessica, phenomenal shot. Thank you. Uh, so we're going to see a pulse of moisture move down from the north. We still have this northerly flow. It means a little bit of drizzle for the south coast slight chance of showers so certainly not a soaker majority of the precipitation will travel from say fort nelson down towards valemont as you can see there and that will ease off in the afternoon hours but here's a look at the amount of moisture we could see for the interior region so uh, bc peace river getting hit and then valemont as well uh, it's not going to be a ton of uh, snowfall for these regions but i just thought i would highlight areas like revelstoke certainly snowfall overnight for you and then into the morning hours you'll start to see a transition to rain uh, also a bullseye over the Coquihalla. So, of course, a lot of people will be traveling. Uh, so just a heads up, we are expecting snowfall tomorrow as we head into a long weekend. If you are traveling, make sure you're aware that we are certainly looking at wintry conditions on those mountain passes. Uh, there's a look at your forecast for tomorrow. So some nice breaks of blue sky and through the Okanagan Valley. For the south coast, it's drizzly, cloudy, chance of showers. We may see a break of blue sky, but overall you can expect cloudy skies. That can continues into Friday. Hopefully some breaks though on Friday. Definitely a wet one on Saturday, but it looks like we finish off our long weekend nicely with a mix of sun and clouds Sunday and Monday. And tonight's uh, Central Windows weather window comes to you from Vernon. Beautiful shot of the sort of patchy fog over the lake there. I love it. Thanks so much to Reagan for that one. Gorgeous scenery. All right. Thanks for that, Christy. 
All right, Ridge Meadows RCMP needed more than one pair of handcuffs to wrangle a suspect on Sunday. This was the scene when Mounties were called in to assist when a cougar was spotted in a Maple Ridge backyard surrounded by homes and people. There was concern the kitty would be euthanized due to the risk it presented to the public. Fortunately, conservation officers were able to tranquilize the cougar while RCMP secured the surrounding area and asked people to stay inside their homes. And then, as you can see, RCMP used their cuffs on the big cat until conservation could secure it for appropriate transport and relocation to an undisclosed area. Best outcome in that case, but uh, yeah, a little creativity with the cuffs. Well done. <laughs> did you refer to that cougar as a kitty? I did. Well, when it's handcuffed and tranquilized, it's less. <laughs> it it, it was in no true. position to argue. <laughs> you could <laughs> safely pet him at that point or <laughs> her. I still don't know that I would do that, but mm -hmm. <laughs> it was cuffed. So Good point. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well. Uh, oh, uh, Big hockey game coming up tonight, eh? Mm -hmm. Canada-U.S. for the gold medal. We'll also talk about uh, the Canucks who play tomorrow in San Jose. And we found out today, we kind of knew this ahead of time, Bruce Boudreaux, huge wrestling fan. He gives you his top five all-time in the squared circle. Ric Flair. <laughs> and later, she's certainly a standout in this litter, what's believed to have caused this puppy to be born with a rare pigment. Sure would be nice to get out of Beijing with at least one gold medal in hockey. Yes, so the Canadian men's team is out of medal contention, but the women will play the U.S. tonight. Our women will play the U.S. tonight at just after 8 o'clock for the gold medal. These two teams have traded gold medals over the years. I think it's 4-2 Canada when it comes to Olympic golds. Finland won the bronze earlier today in women's hockey. Okay. So it depends what math and method you use, but the Vancouver Canucks' chances of making the playoffs are still quite low with 33 games to go in the regular season. They're in San Jose tomorrow, then they're back home for three straight, then they'll go on a four-game Eastern road trip. But the low odds mean nothing to Bruce Boudreaux. He believes his team can rally for a playoff spot. Statistically, if you look at our five-on-five -five game, it's pretty good. And so, I mean, our special teams um, can always be better. So it's uh, our special teams uh, gets better, and we can continue continue at the five and five uh, goal ratio that we have, I, I think uh, we'll be in the hunt. So the other day when uh, Bruce Boudreaux introduced a championship wrestling belt for the Canucks to use after the game when they win to have player of the game ceremonies in the locker room, he showed that he is a pro wrestling fan, which had Jay, who still has autographed posters of the Iron Sheik, King Kong Bundy, and Brutus the Barber Beefcake in his bedroom, ask Bruce about his wrestling faves. I want to ask you, give me your top five wrestlers, your favorite wrestlers of all time, because you have to be a wrestling fan. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, Bret Hart's number one. I'm going with all Canadians here. Uh, Kevin Owens is number two. Um, well, at least the first two were Canadian anyway. Uh, I, there was a guy when I was growing up named, I don't even know if it was his real name, his name was Johnny Powers. He started the, the figure four. But, uh, you know, I mean, who didn't like uh, Steve Austin 
and The Rock. I mean, they were characters. They were great storytellers. And I think uh, the storylines were so good back then that they made it very interesting to watch. How about the junkyard dog? That's another good one. George the Animal Steel, Coco Beware. Uh, Whitecaps against LA Galaxy. This is exhibition. And Brian White put on an exhibition. Scored three times. There's the first goal from Ryan Gold. That made it one nothing in the ninth minute. Then Diber Caicedo. Brian White has two. Two nothing in the 41st minute. It was 2-2 at one point. Now it's 3-2. Youngworth starts this off. It'll end up going to the foot again of, yes, Brian White. 4-2 the final, Vancouver over Los Angeles. Mm, we wanted to approach the game like they were a real game because it's the only way to be prepared uh, for game one in Columbus. So I'm pleased. I'm pleased that we won. I'm pleased, uh, I'm pleased that we beat an MLS opponent. And I know that it doesn't count anything, but uh, it counts in the sense of creating an attitude for the, for the league. Tonight, Jack Eichel is expected to make his debut as a Vegas Golden Knight after disc replacement surgery in his neck. And he got a lot of advice from, surgery from Vancouver UFC fighter Tristan Connolly, who had a similar procedure and will soon be back in the octagon. This next fight's a big one. If I'm making a, a, a big show, they'll offer me a new contract right away. And I, I'm hoping to make the best of this next four years. Tristan Conley has two fights remaining on his UFC contract. Conley back in the octagon preparing for his April 30th fight against notable banger Darren Elkins. For the 35-year-old Conley, it also marks another comeback from his latest neck surgery. But one's off to the right here, that's the lower one. That was the first one, C6, C7. And then the one up here was the recent one, and that was the ball just going out to this side. Uh, and so that's C5-6. So you're a veteran of having artificial disc replacement. I am. I am. I'm a, I'm a pro. <laughs> and he's also a fighter through and through. Tristan's first neck surgery was back in 2019 following a car accident. His second surgery came last year. He's believed to be not just the first fighter, but first professional athlete to undergo multiple artificial disc replacement procedures. Now here's where the story really gets interesting. Hockey fans can give Connolly an assist on Jack Eichel returning to the ice. Eichel undergoing the same procedure after connecting with Conley about his medical journey. I think more than anything, it's just that mental hump that you need to get over, right? So uh, I think that happens with any injury, whether it's a knee or a shoulder or, in my case, uh, you know, cervical disc replacement. But um, I'm confident. I knew I'd made the right decision. I feel great. So I'm ready to rock. And I said, well, I mean, just so you know, I, you know, I was really happy with mine. We just ended up chatting about it. And, you know, I, I kept supporting him, checking in. And I think he's going to do just fine with it. He believes he has the perfect game plan. As a professional athlete now in his mid-30s, competing in a sport that literally beats you down every time you're in the octagon, and having gone through a couple of serious surgeries, it's fair to wonder, why keep at it? People say, well, why, why risk the surgery? Why do all this and keep fighting? And I'm like, well, you... You think that it's just fighting, but like it's my whole life. Like even if I'm not fighting, this is what I want to do. Channel Global Sports. All right, Robert Lewandowski, Bayern Munich against uh, Salzburg, Champions League. First of two between these two, and Adamu with a goal in the 21st minute. It took to the 90th minute before Bayern finally tied it. Kingsley Common, 1-1. There you go. I think I said Caicedo. 
on the second Brian White goal. It might have been Javane Brown who set him up, I think. Anyway, it was exhibition. We and could for one four two, and they'll be home Saturday for interest squad on the new turf at BC Place. Sounds good. We okay. couldn't let that go uncorrected. Thank you, Square. All right, a litter of pups that needed a second look when one of them came out green. That's next. A Nova Scotia couple was shocked when their dog, which they thought was having seven puppies, had one more that wasn't detected by ultrasound. That final pup was not only a surprise addition, but a surprise color. Global's Amber Friday explains. Trevor Mosier and his wife Audra thought their three-year-old Valley Bulldog Freya was done birthing her litter of puppies. The ultrasound revealed there were seven in the litter. The couple began cleaning Freya, thinking she was done giving birth when suddenly another dog was born. This one looking much different than the rest. The puppy was enclosed in a black sack. They assumed the puppy was stillborn. We uh, started to dry her off and noticed that she was green and uh, immediately again thought there was something wrong. So we Googled it. It's like, my, my puppy's green, what's wrong? And uh, apparently it's uh, very rare and uh, it happened a few times all over the world. The rare discoloration is thought to happen when light-coloured puppies come in contact with a green pigment found in bile. I'm kind of amazed really, like um, as rare it seems to be, uh, I feel very lucky to, to have witnessed it and be a part of it. Um, I know you hear stories about things like that, but to actually be there and, and witness it. Since her birth, the green pigment has faded day by day and will continue to do so until she is older. Mosier says many friends and family have been recommending names for the three-week-old unnamed puppy. A lot of people came up with some pretty clever answers. Uh, there were a few of them were Wasabi, Fiona... Hawkett and uh, pistachio. pistachio. I, I kind of like that one. That was pretty cute. Amber Friday, Global News, Middle Sackville. Thank How you. about Kermit? Kermit, yep. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> not easy being green. That's a male frog's name, though, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Little... Shamrock. Well, Shamrock, that's a good one. All right. Uh, last How word on Wonder before we go. Quick. Sorry, Christy. <laughs> Sure. So tomorrow, a little drizzly. You'll need to bring your rain jacket just in case, but not a soaker, that's for sure. All right. Thanks very much. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.